body is murderous in their intentions towards everybody else. They can't hold them back! Submit yourself to one all-powerful absolute sovereign. Thomas Hobbes, the great 17th century natural philosopher, called this... Leviathan! I like shapeshifters, only a lot more into evil folk, and nothing can kill them. Hello, the internet, and welcome to the second episode of the Lands of Leviathan podcast. My name is Peter. And I'm Brock. And I am a political scientist. I delve more into international relations theory. Um, We both have studied quite broadly in both areas. So uh, how does this podcast work? We apply our political science and international relations knowledge, as well as general philosophy economics and a bunch of other stuff we like to think about to what we're classifying as popular culture um and in this regard popular culture limited so it's, it's a, we have a rather limited view of popular culture it seems that uh, basically anything can be considered popular culture but as we discuss it it normally comes down to nerd stuff that we like to talk about stuff nerdy culture that we like to uh, watch and entertain ourselves with that uh, does, does not include, you know, popular TV sitcoms like Friends. We yeah. focus more on, uh, yeah, Star Trek, Star Wars, The Lord of the Rings, fantasy, sci-fi, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're definitely not going to be discussing fucking Kanye West or Justin Bieber or any of that bullshit. We're looking at uh, some proper stuff like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, uh, zombies, Star Wars. That's what we consider to be popular culture because it's popular to us. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, popular to us. We don't give a shit about Kanye and Justin Bieber, although that can be considered pop culture. We would like we keep ourselves in the nerd sub realm. Exactly. Although nerdy stuff is becoming much more popular in general, which is which I think is pretty. Yeah, cool. I think that'll I think that'll help our podcast out a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first and foremost, before we get into what we're going to be discussing today. I would like to apologize for the huge delay in this podcast. Uh, Brock and I have been uh, struggling with a, quite a large array of technical issues on our side. Different recordings. Recording from two different locations on two opposite sides of the world is, is a little bit difficult. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. And without proper recording te- technology, now we've, uh, we've had to find our way here. But we are here, finally. Yep. So. And and we have some cool t- uh, we've got some cool technology coming our way soon. So uh, you guys can um, see the next podcast is going to be awesome because we're really excited to get our stuff. I am anyway. Yeah, when we get that, it should be much better recorded. Exactly. Better. Uh, so thank you so much for all your patience. Um, you guys following on Facebook. Uh, you guys and have been the support. great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's the second point. That the support that we've been getting is amazing. Um, Having quite a quite a lot of uh, backwards and forwardsing, liking us on Facebook, having discussions—it's awesome. Uh, so thanks so much for we've, all of that support. And um, we've had some friends in particular give us some feedback on ideas that we've had, and that's we're trying to incorporate that. That helps guide us a little bit, and uh, people just generally uh, showing us, uh, keeping us going, which is great to have. Thank you. Absolutely, and um, we are always happy to receive feedback, comments, uh, ideas for future podcasts. Basically anything and, and everything. criticism. Uh, we're very happy to hear anything we got wrong. Um, and, and on that note, I think I have to come clear that on the last podcast, um, I said that Hobbes was a 16th century philosopher, when in, in fact he was a 17th century philosopher. And uh, it was Brock who uh, uh, very casually brought that to my attention. 
Um, yes, as the biggest fan of Lands of Leviathan, I was quite happy to point out that Peter was wrong. Although <laughs> Thomas Hobbes was born in the 16th century, he, uh, he did most of his writing in the 17th century, and that's why he's considered a 17th century philosopher. And Peter, if you listen properly to our nice little recorded introduction, you'll actually hear it. Oh, you, you, mean, the, you mean the nice recorded you introduction that. that I made? Is that the one you're talking about? The one that it's I slaved over? That you made it, and, and you still get your history wrong about <laughs> one of the greatest political philosophers. <laughs> Pathetic. Anyway, yeah. and we probably shouldn't say this, but this is our third recording of this podcast. But <laughs> having done that, we have learned that you know we make mistakes. I find, you know, I've, I've happened to be able to criticize myself and find things out, mistakes that I made about. Absolutely. Um, about some facts so if you guys find any mistakes please point them out if you have any additional knowledge that you would like to share please yeah. please please share it with us so uh, so we can be better nerds yeah and the the best way to get that to us is um via our email address um at lands of leviathan at gmail.com that's l-a-n-d-s-o-f-l-e-v-i-a-t-h-a-n at gmail.com um and it's the same yes. name on no facebook idea how long it took Peter to memorize that spelling. I see. I don't have it written down this time. The last two podcasts we recorded, <laughs> I had it written down. This time I know it off by heart. <laughs> um, and we're the same name on Facebook. It's on Facebook. We're called the Lands of Leviathan Podcast. We're on Twitter as the Lands of Leviathan. And we have our own website, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, landsofleviathan.com. We own that, which is awesome. Um, and We're on YouTube as well. Any, any of those um, avenues, we'd love to hear from you. Um, get back to us. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Um, all of that. All of that and stuff. ITunes, yeah. Uh, one last thing, Peter, you forgot that uh, if anybody is not into you know, trawling through information on the internet and would prefer stuff to be sent to them, you can go to our website and sign up for the RSS feed and you will get an email uh, as soon as we change anything on the website, like post a new podcast. So if we upload anything new then uh, you don't have to go looking for it we'll send it to you yeah that's absolutely true um and that rss feed was working pretty well which is which is quite cool um so it's quite surprising actually considering how much we had to learn about that oh, shit. yeah it was <laughs> ridiculous was it was ridiculous um technology is well actually no this this internet-based technology is not our strong suit we're used to uh working with games and oh, um oh. hardware yeah. so it's all a learning curve but that's awesome we love learning new stuff um, please, if you're listening to this podcast is the f- uh, for the first time, please go back to listen to the first episode. It was about the zombie apocalypse. We looked at how the at state f- um, deterioration and state formation if zombies had to attack our world. Uh, great fun, and we re- we recommend you listen to that. But in this episode, we will be talking about Star Wars, which is one uh, of uh, our favorite nerd culture fandoms. Uh, Peter and I love to talk about Star Wars a lot, so we're really excited to do this. And in particular, we're going to be grading or categorizing the different regime types we find in the Star Wars universe based on the movies that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. And just one note on the on the zombie podcast. We did say that we were this was actually going to be a podcast about uh, the religious type of zombie. But we decided to um, leave that for a later time uh, because we were just so excited about Star Wars. Uh, so and this is our podcast. We get to do whatever we want. So Star Wars! <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So we'll have that, that other episode uh, come to you at a bit, a bit of a later stage. But right now, let's get going on this one. Great. Okay, so with regards to Star Wars, what we're going to be looking at is the different regime types that we see within the Star Wars universe. Um, and we're going to be looking at 
Star Wars as a way of explaining the different regime, political regimes that we get in the realm of political theory, international relations, and in the real world in general. Um, so to start us off, I'm just going to give us a little bit of theory before we get into the fun of Star Wars. Um, and I'm going to be discussing a, a spectrum analysis, and Brock's going to be giving us a very cool typology. Um, so firstly, what I'd like to say is that we need to, you need to make sure that when you're impressing your friends with the awesome stuff that you learned on this podcast, that you are calling it a political regime and not just a regime. And the cool thing is, if one of your friends says, like, oh, I know about regimes, you can say, oh, what type of regimes? Um, because that's always fun to show off your knowledge at parties. Um, because a <laughs> <laughs> that's how I yeah, have so many like friends. <laughs> <laughs> a, um, a regime type or a regime is just a form of rulership. So, or basically, yeah, it's, it's rulership. So when you're having a, uh, uh, a sports match, a... A group of people who have a leader, um, an office party where you have a manager, whatever. That's a regime. As long as somebody's making decisions for other people, that's a regime. Not necessarily. Or if you could have a regime where everybody's making decisions for everyone, that's still a type of regime. As long as there's some form of governance, there's a. Uh, doesn't have to necessarily be a hierarchy. It can be egalitarian, but there must be um, power allocated. Absolutely, and. But the difference between that and a political regime is that a political regime condenses it a little bit more, uh, where we start looking at the way that political units are governed. So here we're talking about states, empires, um, rulership of large bodies of people, uh, rulerships of large countries, territories, things like that. Um, so it's different from just your general groups of people who are ruling themselves in whatever way they... This is where we get into uh, the way that we try and classify our regimes. And um, the way that I like to do it is, if you imagine in your minds two absolute ideals in the world. Now, the ideal types is actually a form of philosophy developed by uh, Max Weber, uh, where he just decided that... To, in order to conceptualize something, you need to understand what it's like most extreme cases could possibly be. So note that these things never actually exist. They're just the most extreme examples of what we're talking about. So imagine a line in front of you. Um, and on the one side of the line is your most liberal democracy ever. Everybody has as much freedom as is possible when living with a bunch of other humans. Um, you are able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as you're not impeding on the freedoms of anybody else. And not only that, but everybody in that society gets together to make the decisions for everybody else. Um, so and it's, Peter, it's some kind of like a, like a direct democracy? Exactly. And that's exactly what we call a direct democracy. Um, and because uh, for once, universal suffrage actually means universal suffrage. Absolutely. And it's not just... It's not just about suffrage, which is the right to vote, but it's about the fact that uh, you act directly in the decision-making. Um, you don't have a representative in the perfect democratic system. You are engaged in the discussion in order to make the decisions. It's not about electing representatives. You go to what the ancient Greeks would have called the uh, forums or the agora and have that discussion to make those decisions. And that would be the, the perfect said, liberal democracy. I know you said that, that this is an ideal type, but do we see that anywhere here in the modern world? The only time you would ever see that is in, as you've said before, in very, very small groups of people. 
um, that it might work. But once you get above, I mean, once you get above, I, I would say like 10 people, it's, it's almost impossible to implement. I mean, I'm sure that all of our listeners have had issues where like trying to get a group of people organized and all make decisions at the same time is next to impossible, especially if you've had a couple of drinks. Um, we've had we've had some pretty uh, close examples in um, in regions of Switzerland where they encourage everyone to have a say in politics, so mm. they get them to vote in uh, popular referendums. Mm. But even there, you still have age limits on who can vote. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure of the exact uh, laws in Switzerland where the, the where the prisoners can vote or mentally handicapped people can vote. But still, those are typical boundaries that are normally set up in the modern state. So it's still not entirely universal. Yeah, and I, I would sixteen-year-old. I would say that as technology uh, allows for greater intercommunication, that would lead us towards a more direct democracy. Because the only reason that Switzerland is able to do that is because they have voting machines like uh, strewn throughout the country. They're a very highly economically developed state uh, with a very high level of education. So maybe in the future we'll see that. But as of today, it's difficult. And also, you know, some people just, just don't give a you shit. You could just say communicate you don't have to say intercommunicate communication implies it's between people oh my you know what okay just <laughs> you know like Do i'm t- trying to sound smart and you have to call me down like what is this what what is what no, is you trying to science you're trying to sound smart with words like intercommunicate i think intercommunicate okay whoever's listening to this podcast write us in tell us if intercommunicate is a word because i <laughs> am going on record as to say that it is okay linguists come I on i don't now. care i don't care if it's a word it's a redundant <laughs> word it's like oh, saying okay. yeah instantaneously. Okay. dictionary it's, okay it's the fucking, same thing yeah. as instantly <laughs> so tell us about, tell us about the other side of the spectrum okay so now what we have on the other side of our spectrum is the exact opposite a uh, a regime that's ruled by only one person and that person has ultimate 100 percent power over the actions of everybody else in that society now this is even less of a likely scenario than the ideal type on the other side because basically that person would have to have some kind of superpower in order to control people but we're talking about a situation where that person controls all the actions it's a 100% totalitarian regime run by one individual. And in that situation, yeah, as I said, they would have to have some kind of superpower. But importantly, most people in that, in that area don't have any form of agency. They don't have any freedom. And it's a, probably a pretty shit place to live. Um, but, you know, again, answering not, this- not entirely. Like, if you trust the person who's ruling over you, uh, then, you know, they, I would give them you know, every, every ounce of free will that I had so they could make my decisions for me but you would only see that in like and the only place I can imagine now off the top of my head is like a single parent family or with very young kids maybe one or two young small kids you know where the parent just uh, makes wholehearted decisions exactly uh, in order to protect their children before before puberty sets in at least but yeah I, I think that the only time that that would work in, in, a, in a political situation would be essentially if a god came down and said right you humans you're fucking it up i'm in charge now you do what i say um like kim young man yeah like you know he's he's pretty cool i, I like him you know he's building nukes now so you know we, 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 i feel safe i feel safe um <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, north korea is not a threat <laughs> no he's not a very well run society no matter okay. what fucking donald um, trump says so um on those <laughs> so with regards to this conversation the left hand side 
of, uh, of our spectrum. We're calling the light side of politics. And the right-hand side, which is our authoritarian side, we're going to be calling the dark side of politics. So imagine the Jedi on the left-hand side and the Sith on the, on the right-hand side. Um, now, to so place our regime types on this uh, light side, dark side spectrum that we have, uh, we're going to use a little typology that, were, that uh, was originally given to us by the pagan philosopher Aristotle, who gave us six regime types, not just based on good or bad, but also based on who, how many people rule. So you can have one person rule, but that one person could be good or bad. And if it was a one good ruler, in a, and Aristotle didn't just make a value judgment here saying that uh, who he thought was good, he said that good people, good rulers, uh, rule for everyone. So one ruler who ruled for everyone, he called a monarch. And we, we've had many historical examples of monarchies where there is a royal king or queen that takes a throne based on hereditary lines. And they're expected to, even though we, we know that in history this isn't always the case, they're expected to rule for every person within their realm. Mm. When the person doesn't do that, when the individual does not rule for, for every member of society and they only rule for themselves or for a small group like their family, then they're called a tyrant. And that's what uh, um, Aristotle uses to distinguish his, tyrann his tyrannous regimes. When a small group of people are in charge and uh, they can be trusted to look after the interests of the whole of society, he calls that an aristocracy. And the example here, I mean, most of us can imagine just after the, during the age of enlightenment, after the age of monarchies, uh, particularly in places like France and, uh, and England, where you have aristocrats who are landed um, business owners uh, and they own peasants and farms and that, they were charged with looking after their fiefdoms and so a feudal system not, uh, yeah there were feudal it was a feudal system but it carried on you know even after a mm. monarchy had been toppled and um, today we still have landed aristocrats in britain um the opposite of that where the people with a small amount of rulers did not look after the people beneath them those were called oligarchs or at least aristotle called the regime an oligarchy mm. Uh, the good type of regime where everybody's in control and everybody has a say and everybody rules for everybody else, which is never going to happen, is the polity. Um, obviously, being in Athens, Greece, ancient Greece, Aristotle was a big fan of polity. He thought that power belonged to people, even though he himself established rules on who could be a ruler. Yeah, back then, it was still upheld that only aged, wise men who owned property could vote and have a say in politics. Women were not allowed, young men were not allowed, even men without beards couldn't have a say. And no slaves. Because uh, that was, uh, of course, no slaves. Well, the last type of regime that Aristotle talks about is where everybody's in control, but only for, in the interest of the few. And we would all know this to be called a democracy. Um, <laughs> Aristotle was very skeptical of a democracy because it literally means, uh, you know, it's like a popular saying of power to the people, except People are corrupt, so as soon as you give them power, they only look after themselves. Yeah. Um, he didn't like the type of mob mentality that set in the wholesale concessions that would be made on behalf of small groups so that individuals or small groups would, be, would benefit mm. um, from having more power. And in essence, there would be a type of uh, monopoli monopolistic uh, power-hungry game chase 
over who could rise to the top the quickest. Yeah. And although we like to, although we like, you know, in, in the modern world, we like to punt liberal democracy a lot, it's quite easy to um, imagine why Aristotle didn't like this regime too much. And that's, um, so, I, I think, that, what, just, just yeah. before we go on, I, Brock and I are going to do an episode on democracy because it's such an important part of the world as it exists now. And I, I, I find it so interesting that everybody's so scared to criticize democracy, like democracy is this holy idea that, that, you know, is, you know, almost like what Francis Fukuyama said, where it's the end of history and that's the last uh, step for, for people. But uh, th- there is one concept that I'd like to introduce our listeners to, and that's the tyranny of the majority. And um, that's, that's really what Aristotle had a problem with. And that is that the tyranny of the majority speaks to the fact that in a true democracy, if 51% of the population voted for something, um, that would pass through. But if that thing that was voted for was very, uh, was very detrimental to the 49% of the population, that would be terrible. I mean, that, that's not a just system in any kind of philosophical or real sense. And that means that democracy at that level has failed. Um, democracy no longer is ruling people with their best interests at heart, and you have what he calls, I think it was Aristotle who originally called it the tyranny of the majority, or, or did that come up later? No, I think it was him who said that, but the, is, the essence of the idea is still captured there, where although you would like to believe that 51% would have the other 49% in mind when they made uh, political decisions, there's nothing to guarantee that in a democracy. Democracy doesn't guarantee that the 51% have to care for the no. 49. They're the ones in power. They're the ones who have the voting power, and they've got the majority representation. So, and there's uh, such so a good example of you're this. Having, you're having 100% governed by 51%. Yeah, and there's such a good example of this in history. Uh, during the French Revolution, the first one, the merchants stood up against the aristocracy and told the peasants, we will stand up for your rights if you instill the republic. When, when the first elections came around and the first republic came around, the merchants looked after their own interests. Um, and it was unfortunate. It taught us a huge amount of lessons about the way to structure democratic institutions. Because at the end of the day, unfortunately, in democratic institutions, people tend to look after their own class interests. Um, but we'll get into all of that, I think, in another podcast. Let's, let's get into Star Wars. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Because uh, we could go on about that for ages. And to be honest, it's truly interesting. Yeah. Um, so the first regime type that we encounter in episode one... Oh, wait. Sh- should we start at episode one? Um, yeah, I think so. We, we, we had this discussion where we were saying, should we do the extended universe, the games, uh, Knights of the Old Republic? I don't know, maybe yes. But once we open up that can of worms, it doesn't end. Should I include my Star Wars erotic fan fiction? Probably. But let's not do that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't believe you still keep that. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't want to see Boba Fett get with Leia? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That is um, just creepy. Oh, they don't. You probably got some sick humor about with Jabba the Hutt in there. Oh yeah, Jabba. <laughs> anyway, let's carry on. We're going to we're going to be limiting this to the first uh, to to the uh, to the six movies. Um, so that's uh, Phantom Menace, uh, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. Yes, P- Peter. Peter, we know what the names of the six movies are. Uh, if you if you don't if you haven't watched Star Wars, just don't even bother listening to this podcast. A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Uh, okay, so yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's get into our 
first regime that we uncover. Uh, Brock, I think you should take this one away. Uh, I'm glad you gave it to me. It's, it's, it's an easy one because we start with Naboo, which is um, a monarchy, an, an electoral monarchy. It's nice because we don't know too much about it and we don't need to know too much about it. They tell us just enough for us to make an easy dis- uh, decision. We know that Queen Amidala is a monarch, she's a queen, um, but also she, has, she hasn't come to power or hasn't come to power like, if, like any other uh, king or queen does. They don't inherit the throne based on their hereditary. Um, like all other kings and queens from Naboo, they are elected to power based on who the people believe to be the wisest among them um, at the time of the death of the former monarch. So uh, what, an interesting side note to this regime type is uh, not just that you know, the, 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 the scare or the threat with having a monarchy is because they can guarantee power will stay within their family, they tend to go off the rail a bit and become tyrants. Absolutely. But having a, a monarch being elected and accountable is, essentially makes them accountable to their people. Yeah. Uh, and there are several moments within you know, episodes one and uh, I think it's just episode one where our Queen Amidala Padme feels responsible for her people's interests. And she makes an effort to, you know, to, to account for those and represent them by going to Coruscant to, and putting pressure on the Galactic, uh, Republic, on the Galactic Senate yep. in order for them to do something about the Trade Federation's embargo on Naboo. Uh, and it gets to such a point where she actually thinks that she might be under duress to step down because she's not doing a good enough job. Yep. And she would have to uh, abdicate the throne so that someone else could be queen in her place and she could be a full-time representative in the Galactic Senate to replace Chancellor Palpatine, who eventually becomes Supreme Chancellor. I yeah. think I spoke too much there. Do you want to climb in? No, that's, uh, that's absolutely a perfect summation of the situation. And um, although it seems crazy that you would have an elected monarch, we actually see historical... Um, counterpoint, uh, historical examples of this. The uh, Mongolians, uh, during the time of Genghis Khan, uh, that's, how that's how they functioned. It, uh, their elected uh, leaders uh, became chiefs and eventually uh, Khans, which was the Mongolian word for king or emperor. And um, Genghis Khan was elected to his office. He was elected for life. And oftentimes his son or a relation would be elected after him but it was a very very structured and important part that when Genghis Khan died um, everybody had to go back to Mongolia um, I don't know if they went back to Ulaanbaatar which is the uh, current capital of Mongolia but they they went back to elect the new Khan which was Kublai Khan um, uh, Genghis's grandson and that's actually a really interesting um, anecdote because it's the reason why Europe wasn't co- wasn't conquered by the Mongolians because the Europeans were getting super owned um, and suddenly the Mongolians turned around and went back home because they had to take part in this election so we, we've seen things like this in um, in the real world so these things actually have precedent uh, um, in 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 our in our universe as well um, so, so where would you... I well, I mean, Naboo is definitely a monarchy. Um, there's enough evidence in the Star Wars films to indicate that the, that the monarch of Naboo is uh, very interested in, the, in, in their people and they're well represented. They have no interest in becoming a tyrant. Um, and it's, it's a monarchy it's because she rules in, uh, in favor of the people. She rules for uh, them, not, uh, yes, of course. not on them. Yeah, yeah. of course. She doesn't enforce anything upon them. But what is interesting is that they do actually enforce their rule on others because you know, the, the people in Naboo are, are colonialists and they um, 
savagely defeated the natives, the Gungans, and excluded them from their society. Ah, well, that's it. That's the interesting thing here is that when we are first introduced to uh, Naboo, it seems like such a lovely, idyllic society, as I imagine Pretoria looked um, under the apartheid regime. (laughs) (laughs) But when we look a little bit further and scratch underneath the surface, we see that we have a whole underclass of natives that are, I don't know if they're forced to live underwater, but they do, um, who aren't represented in the, in, the planet's, um, in, in the planet's regime. And they're definitely fact, not represented. I don't even think they're represented in the Galactic Republic. No, they're definitely not represented in the Galactic Republic. Um, even when, oh God, I can't believe I'm about to do this. When fucking Jar Jar Binks becomes senator for oh. Naboo, he represents the Nabooans, not the Gungans. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's it, it's it, it's interesting that we see this idyllic situation, but actually, what we do have is a is a sort of of colonialism going on, um, and um, and and the, and the but yes. it does get repaired to a certain extent when, as you say, um, uh, Queen Amidala has to go and uh, request aid from the Gungans. Yeah, yeah, I, well, I hadn't said that yet, but I was going to get there. Is, uh, she, she has to go down on a bended knee. Um, she has to give up her double, who is standing in her stead, and uh, effectively beg for help from Bosnas, who, if we had to, had to you know, categorize his regime, um, we don't know much other than he's, you know, he acts like a monarchical figure, um, although he doesn't seem all that corrupt. He's not quite like Jabba the Hutt. Uh, he seems to have a pretty well-run civilization. We don't know how long he's in power for, how he got there. Um, so I, I'm not willing to, to say much other than... Probably a monarchy. They are, def- they are definitely excluded from yeah. the Naboo system. So in terms of our, of our spectrum, I, I, I'm, I'm immediately wanting to place the whole regime on the light side. But quite maybe closer to the center um you know it is it is definitely got its dark elements but uh, but it's on the light side of the spectrum it's not a an evil regime i would say but it's definitely closer to the center leaning towards the dark side no i wouldn't say lean towards the dark side i mean they managed to make an alliance at the end of the film and uh you know and they had successfully Oh, that's 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 interesting. So it's like it, it it in the beginning of the film maybe they're closer to the dark side by the end of the film they they've They've travelled a bit left. Yeah, thanks to the to the invasion of the droid army from the Trade Federation, they managed to push Naboo closer towards a, a more inclusive society. Mm, mm. So that just goes to show that you know droid armies probably can solve you know any problem. Um, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, that's interesting. Does the droid army, does the Trade Federation, classify as a political regime? Yeah. So that is interesting. Now, the Trade Federation, as we see it. I would argue is a political regime to a certain extent. So my argument for that is that it's a it's a group of uh, of like aliens or you know like like beings. They're, they're humanoid, but they're the same species at least. They have representation on the Galactic Senate. Um, they're part of the Galactic Republic, um, and they do have formalized structures and rules. And they own a military. They've got they've got a coercive force. Um, so I would argue that they are a political regime. I would say definitely not. Uh, their representation in the Galactic Senate is purely for functions of the tra- as being a trade federation. They don't. I don't think they have a vote. Um, that's equal. It's equal to the other republican systems. 
And uh, although they have an army, that army, you have to ask, is in the interest of who? It's probably their shareholders. Uh, they don't have a population to govern over. They might be rulers, but rulers over what? See them as uh, commercial decision makers in the interest of facilitating trade between Republican systems. They don't have a, a popula- um, uh, designated population, and I don't think that they recognize by other political systems to be engaged with as a political actor. I'm sure if, if there were a, a political system or a regime in the Galactic Republic, um, what, what was that, 25 years before the Battle of Yavin, we would have had, we probably wouldn't have had such a soft reaction from Naboo. Mm. Naboo had to go to Coruscant to ask for permission to fight these guys and to ask the Republic to rescind their, uh, their trade abilities. Yeah, their charter, so that they, that's correct. They pulled off the blockade. If, it was a, if there were a political regime in the Republic, Naboo would have just fought back as, as a declaration of war. Uh, that's very that's that's such a good point though that you're saying that a political regime by definition must have a citizenry um that are over which the government as such um protects and and governs um and you're yeah, yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right the trade federation doesn't have that um so okay, they don't have that. more than that the, the things that they try to get away with they would never have gotten away with if they were a true political actor i don't think that they're a political regime mm. but if i had to categorize them as one they're definitely an oligarchy because they don't have a population they're only accountable to themselves mm. and their, their shareholders they're only in the interest of making money they don't um, you know they wouldn't rule like an aristocracy they're a small group of people ruling in their own interests mm. do you think we've ever seen anything similar to the trade federation in our universe Oof. Well, it's difficult to say because they don't. Uh, we haven't seen droid armies. You know, <laughs> a... Just wait for the <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> Which is you actually know, that's actually what they were. That was George Lucas being super racist. Yeah, I didn't like the accents that he gave to the the, the, the leaders of the Trade Federation. That was that was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I would have to think of maybe like the World Trade Organization, but the, you know they've got no enforceable power, and they are their members are um, state representatives. So yeah, it's different. That's what I was going to say is that the, the World Trade Organization is a supranational entity. It would be more like yeah. a committee of the Galactic Senate. Um, it would be more like if a large corporation on our planet got some kind of army. Really, I mean, imagine I don't know Microsoft or McDonald's with an army. Um, which would be scary as fuck. No, but no, I know, I know. I see it differently to you. I, they're a trade federation. They facilitate trade. You know, they. Um, so well, I'd imagine more like. So the Dutch East uh, India Trading Company. Yeah, there we go. That's better. The Dutch East India Trading Company. So we actually have seen some uh, some historical precedents of this. That's crazy. Wow, Jesus, our world is fucked. That's okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was at least back in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, let's go on to our next one. And this is the interesting one. Tatooine, a wretched hive of scum and oh, villainy. The home of Luke Skywalker. Yeah, this is a difficult... Uh, and Anakin. Anakin came from there. Ah, uh, yes, the guy brought balance to the Force, of mm-mm, course. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. Yeah. No, 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 no. Luke yeah. brought balance to the Force. Luke was the chosen one. And, and, who gave, and who, where did Luke come from? Who is Anakin? Oh, yeah, okay, so that's fine. So Neo wasn't the one in the Matrix. It was, what, the machines, because they made him. That's, so, so the machines were the one in the Matrix. That's, that's fine. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> that's a completely different universe. 
Oh, what? Um, I can't make parallels between two universes? Uh, I Not between... No, no. The, the Matrix is, is completely different to Star Wars. Oh, come on. It's a chose. It's still oh. a hero's journey type of fucking chosen one. Anyway, le- that's another you, podcast. You know, that's you know another podcast. Yeah, you know what's going to happen if we go down that road. <laughs> uh, so to get back to Tatooine, and the difficult thing with Tatooine is, that, again, like Naboo, it's not a unified system. Um, in fact, there's almost no political representation. I don't think that, you know, they've got no representation in the Galactic Republic. Um, the only regimes we have to that we come across, even though it's the most referenced planetary system in the in the whole Star Wars universe, we still don't see any political order. It's only the only gangsters and warlords. And that's why and, I, I would say huts. that it's not. It's not a regime. Uh, Tatooine is a failed state. It is a. It, it might have had a regime. It might not have, but it doesn't have one now. There is no political order. It is a failed state. It's it's complete anarchy. But why? What? How? Why? What classifies something as a? Well, well, we can draw parallels with Somalia of today. So uh, there is no okay. defined territory. There's no defined population. People do whatever the fuck they want. It's uh, it's cowboy law. So, you know, you get shot in the streets of Tatooine. Nobody gives a shit unless the person you shot yeah. had family. You know, it's uh, the only um, rules there are rules of force, pretty much. Uh, yeah. There's no governing yeah. body to which you can appeal to for safety. The huts... Um, oh, and we know that one of the huts is Jabba the Hutt, um, and he would be, uh, but he's a warlord, he, he's a criminal, uh, and he's a gangster, he's not a political leader, um, he runs a business on crime and smuggling, but he's yeah. definitely not a political leader, and it's very similar to what we see in Somalia today, the government uh, controls maybe two blocks of Mogadishu, uh, which is the capital of Somalia, but apart from that, the rest of the country is run by warlords, who uh, pirate and rape and pillage and do a whole bunch of horrible things, but there, there's definitely no political order in Somalia, and that's why we call it a failed state. It's a good analogy to use, um, and it's not just the huts, you know, although they are the biggest smuggling cartel there, we've also got the, the Jawas, we've got the sand people, um, although that, I suppose those are more tribal regimes. Yeah, that's, a, that's such an interesting point, because that actually does show that there are groups, there, there, there are groups that are politically organized, but they're tribal, uh, definitely pre-modern, uh, not even feudal. They're, they're a tribal society. We don't know much about them, do we? Um, except maybe a little bit from the extended universe, but we're not getting into that. We, we, all we know is that they do have some kind of organization, uh, at, at least based on ethnicity. But I would say uh, they're probably a tribal tribal society, if anything. Um, so, how, so if we had to put that in our t- into our typology, where would we put them? Um, well... <laughs> So we know that Tatooine in general doesn't fall on our typologies or our spectrums at all. But if we're going to classify tribal societies, I think we would... Uh, and you could feel free to disagree with me. I would either call them an aristocracy or perhaps a monarchy, um, depending on their, on their organizational structure. But usually those small groups of people, um, they, they have quite a high level of accountability due to the, the small amount of numbers. Um, so they... They tend to uh, rule in, in for the people rather than you know on the people. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, when we analysed uh, Rick's group of uh, survivors in The Walking Dead. That when you get a group that small, um, it's very it's very easy to to hold accountability, and therefore I think that uh, you know many times you do have a monarch, but um, also there's a lot of pressure on the monarch. So sometimes you just have a council of elders mm. to sort of guide the society and. 
and everybody within the tribe you know takes responsibility for certain duties yeah and you don't necessarily have an individual leader although individual leaders are common yeah but i no, i'm not going as far as like um wholesale polarities or democracies no 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 i well, I, I don't think those societies uh, can exist at that level because uh uh, the division of labor is far too stratified um, for people to take up that kind of political responsibility. So that's why I said aristocracy or monarchy, but definitely not oligarchy or tyranny. Um, so definitely on the light side of my spectrum and, mm. and uh, aristocracy yeah. and monarchy on your typology. Um, then... But to, truth be told, we don't know enough about the sand people in Java to say much more. Maybe the Javas, they're just like a trading community. It's sort of like nomadic traders. Uh, but the, the same people could have really sophisticated uh, regime types. They yeah, we just don't know. We see them as they just shoot people, have a funny laugh, steal shit, and uh, yeah, they provide a little bit of humor during the pod race. Yeah. Oh, we do get we do get information on them from the computer game Knights of the Old Republic, but um, that's that is we, tribal. So. We, yeah. Okay. Uh, then the big one, the Galactic Republic. Aha. Now, this is such an oh, interesting one. Where do we classify one. that? Well, let's go through the Galactic Republic. So, the Galactic Republic. Fuck. Um, I, I think the best way to do this is to draw a parallel to, to something that exists on our planet right now. And um, I, I, I feel a bit unsure about this, so feel free to disagree with me. And that would be with the UN. It's a... It's a no, no. I'm not going to go with the UN because the UN is too supranational. I think uh, the Galactic Republic maintains a lot more, is charged with maintaining a lot more order. Ah, interesting. Ah, yeah, much better analogy, absolutely, because the UN is, has no, has no uh, force, it has no authority to actually carry out its will unless its member states no. decide to, but the Galactic Republic does. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So it is, and, and also they've accepted some kind of, uh, you know, a unified economic system, a unified language system. Yeah. Um, terms of trade, there's probably, I mean, there are obviously trade agreements because we've got the Trade Federation. So, yeah, very similar to the, to the EU. It's a, it's a confederation or a, a federation of states. Absolutely. And uh, that's what makes it interesting is because you want to look at how they, how, how they hold the, how, how the, the, the systems, the Republican systems that make up the Galactic Republic, how they hold the Galactic Republic, and in particular the Galactic Senate, accountable um, for, for being charged with maintaining order throughout the galaxy. And uh, is, it like a, is it like a democratic system? Do they have representatives there? Um, is it oligarchical? Uh, do, you know, do they, are, they, are they subject to the will of bureaucrats? Or do they try and maintain some sort of aristocracy where everybody does what they want until there's a, a collision or a dispute? And then it gets resolved at the Senate. See, it seems to me that it's it's uh, like firstly my initial impression is that it's run incredibly poorly. Um, you have obviously you have we see in that scene um, in all the scenes that we see the galactic the galactic Senate we've got representatives from every different um, state within the system and those are either represent systems as in star systems or planets individually, um, and they have seats on the Senate. Now, we're only forced to assume that they are at least equally weighted. Um, so, but there doesn't seem to be any separation of powers in the, in the Galactic Senate, does there? Well, you've got the bureaucrats, um, and obviously they say, but they don't have a vote. They just maintain, it's, it's sort of like the, 
the Secretariat of the UN. Do, do, do um, I need to explain what the separation of powers is quickly, actually? Um, yeah, let me do that. Just, just for our listeners quickly, the separation of powers is a, is a concept that's used to control the tyranny of the majority. Um, basically, it, it was drawn up by uh, James Madison, I think, um, and uh, he, he said that, the, that any democratic society's leadership should be broken up into three aspects. The judiciary, uh, that interprets the law, the executive that makes the law, and the legislature, uh, sorry, the executive that carries out the law, and the legislature that makes the law. And those three, uh, those three organisms, uh, those three um, organizations need to be separate from each other. Um, and the more separate they are, the better, because then they hold each other accountable, and you get a better quality of democracy. Um, so what I'm saying is that you don't see that in the Galactic Senate. You, you've got... You've got the Galactic Senate at the top, which is a unicameral system, one house that just se- seems to make arbitrary rules, and a bureaucracy that just carries out their wishes. Uh, yeah, that, so in a certain way, that is a separation, but you don't see a judicial order. No. You don't see a, and you don't see a council of, um, of lawmakers. So I don't think that the, that the Galactic Republic, or at least the Senate house, is charged with making law, just with um, making decisions and enforcing the law so sort of just to resolve disputes, as we see with the Trade Federation's blockade on Naboo. Oh, that's in- oh so you don't think that they make law at all? Mm, we don't see it happening in the movies. But obviously if they've accepted a single currency, I mean, surely that must have been legislated at some point. I mean, no, what- sorry, I'm talking bullshit. I'm talking about, we don't see, we don't see uh, re- representatives in the Senate make law, but the Supreme Chancellor makes law. When when Chancellor Palatine becomes Supreme Chancellor, he uh, he you know he goes balls to the wall trying to um, collect all the power he can muster by uh, declaring a, a state of emergency by um, you know hiring a million uh, a million man strong clone army. Yeah, he gets uh, fuck loads of power. Yeah, so I think so he makes law, of course. Yeah. Um, but we do, we and we only see the I think the the only power we witness in that Senate House is just people who challenge the law. I yeah. don't know if they make law themselves. So it's, it's actually fairly dictatorial think, in, in, in a way. Well, it becomes dictatorial. It, it's so it's kind of a harsh statement to you know to only collect our thoughts on on episodes one, two, and three because that's at the end of the Galactic Republic. Yeah. We get that mm. it had over twenty five thousand years. Mm. of successful rule before those episodes. Um, so clearly it had established a good sense, uh, a legitimate sense of order throughout the galaxy for such a long period of time. Mm. It's just sad, you know, it was sad to see it all come to an end at, uh, at the end of episode three or during episode three. And what about That's the thinking, Jedi? I'm going to say, I'm going to say, no, I'm, I'm not talking about the Jedi yet. I'm, I want to try and categorize this, this regime type without them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to put it as a place as an aristocracy. I mean, people would typically nowadays identify it with a democracy mm. because they would see the, the chancellors there all representing their specific systems as some form of uh, democratic representation. Um, but when you look at the number of people that actually make decisions in that institution, it's certainly more aristocratic. And what's more is the representatives there only seem to be there because they could afford to get there. Because we, we, you know, when you mm. consider Tatooine and the Gungans, they they aren't necessarily represented. Um, you know, I don't think the Republicans sort of you know uh, subsidize their representation. So in that way, you're kind of there because you can afford to, and that makes it more aristocratic rather than democratic. 
See, to a certain extent, I agree with you, but I, I, I find myself disagreeing with the fact of you calling it an aristocracy. And the reason for that is that although uh, all your reasons are correct, but at the end of the day, I think that the individual states, and in this case that means planets, still have a lot of autonomy over their own internal structures. These uh, senators in the galactic uh, senate don't necessarily control the lives to, to the extent that an aristocracy would of everybody within the political system. So, uh, uh, like, it's almost like I want to no. put it halfway between an aristocracy and a democracy. No, I think you're getting confused about who the Galactic Republic is charged with looking out for. They're not charged with looking out for every individual within the galaxy. Mm. They're charged with looking out for every, for every system in the galaxy. So it can't be a democracy based on how many people it governs over. It has to be an aristocracy based on how many planets it governs over. So in this, in this instance, you're considering each individual planet to be an individual citizen? Um, loosely planets, because we know that there, there can be multiple representatives from the same planet. Uh, you know. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, loosely. You've swayed me. You've swayed me. I agree with you. So that's it's why a, I would go with an aristocracy. Yeah, I agree. It's an aristocracy. Um, now, where do you want to place it on the spectrum? Um, I'm, I have to go light side. Yeah, I'm so biased by 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 you know twenty five thousand historical years of successful galaxy uh, rule. Yeah, galactic rule. I agree um, with you. It's gonna put me lighter, but we have to we have to bring in um, the fact of of its we have to bring in the history of its downfall of how the 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 criminal and genius mastermind the villainous mastermind of Chancellor Palpatine and how his alter ego Darth Sidious um, bring down the Galactic Republic and replace it with the Galactic Empire. Yeah. We have to categorize that regime. Yeah, so let's 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 first let's first talk about how he brings it down and then categorize the uh, the Empire. Let's do it like that. How, what do you think? Yes, I think it will yeah, let's do it that way. It will shed more light on how the Galactic Republic gets replaced. See, and it's so it, from my point of view, I, I find it I find it interesting that he was able to do that in the first place. I mean, that just shows a huge amount of institutional weakness. Um, and but it, immediately my brain comes up with a counter argument of like, yeah, but he was also a Sith Lord, so you know, uh, would the would the EU be able to stand up to a Sith Lord? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Angela yeah, Merkel versus true. Emperor Palpatine. Uh, who's going to win that fight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I, I don't think she's had a chance but um, you know, we, we, we hear that famous line from uh, Padme when, uh, Chance when, when Supreme Chancellor Palpatine declares a state of emergency and assumes power over a million strong clone army uh, she, and everybody claps she says and this is how democracy fails to thunderous applause. Yeah. Um, One of the most powerful lines in the movies, I think. Yeah, and really a knock on our categorization of an aristocracy. She calls it a democracy, and we would argue with her. But because they were able to forsake their own regime, um, I think ex as representatives is exactly what makes them aristocrats. Yeah. Um, and we see the, the strength of the bureaucracy being able, to, first of all, to talk Chancellor Valorum out of uh, uh, aggressively negotiating with the with the trade federation to repeal its blockade and then once the it's he's been replaced with the supreme chancellor palpatine 
that he's able to get away with whatever he wants. So effectively, mm. not you know, just a, um, overriding, we have no more bureaucratic power after that. Um, and then using his alter ego, Darth Sidious, to muster up the, a group of separatists uh, to build a, dro- a droid army and effectively combat the Republic, giving him the legitimacy to, to gain... Um, to gain control of a, of a new army that the Galactic Republic initially didn't have. Absolutely. So uh, he's, he's a very, I mean, he's evil, but he's a very shrewd politician, isn't he? Because uh, he's, he's created the crisis that allows him to seize power. Um, and, like, you know, you, you have to admire the, the political gumption that, that he has in, in order to do that. He, he creates the problem that he then attempts to solve. I think he understood the lack of... Of, I think he understood the ease within the Galactic Senate that, uh, that he, for him, no, wait, my English has just left me. Let me try that again. He understood the need and the ease with which he could acquire legitimacy within the Galactic Republic within mm. the, and in the Senate particularly. And he knew it would take a small group of separatists with an army to legitimize his uh, call for emergency powers mm. and an army to go with it. And once he had that, then he could effectively um, garner additional political legitimacy by, by defeating the separatists and Count Dooku, as well as General Grievous. And then at that point, once he had the Jedi involved to that extent, he could turn on them, execute the Jedi Order. Um, yeah, Order 66. I, yeah, Order 666, and uh, it was 666, wasn't it? No, just 66. No, no, it was Order 66. Sorry, I should know better. Execute and, uh, Order at point, 66. At, at that point, when you start seeing a republic with so much with a monopoly over so much coercive power, mm. you start to believe, that you start to see the dwindling of populist uh, politics. Yeah. That it, it, the wielding of so much power by, by Chancellor Palpatine, at that stage, you begin to, to witness how his uh, Darth Sidious alter ego and himself begin to combine yeah. uh, it, and, and, and is effectively peaked uh, at the point where Mace Windu confronts him in his office uh, and challenges him to a duel. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or it's not really, he doesn't really challenge him to a duel. He tries to arrest him and fails. Yeah, which was dumb. He should have killed him, just straight up. Yeah, um, he should have killed him, which was stupid. It was a weakness of the Jedi mind. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree so much with that because in in the... Uh, you know that that was just the dumbest thing that that could have happened. They should have just chopped him up, and their life would have been a lot better for everybody. That 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 would have been the wise decision in that context. Although, um, yes. you know, from a utilitarian perspective, of course, of course. But you know that the Jedi Council is not into utilitarian thinking. Yeah. Um, it was even bold enough for Mace Windu to stand there and tell Anakin to shut up. He's not going to give him a fair a fair trial, as Anakin was asking for. Mm. That this man is a you know he's a he's a villain. Yeah, and he needs to be, and he needs to be taken care of. Absolutely. Um, but that, after having survived that, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine then declares, uh, and after you know defeating the Separatists and the Jedi, he then declares uh, that the Galactic Senate be replaced with an Imperial Senate, and that the Galactic Republic will then become the Galactic Empire, mm. and he becomes Emperor Palpatine instead of Chancellor Supreme Chancellor. Yeah. And he names Darth Vader as the supreme commander, which, you know, military terms means like the, the top dog in the military and effectively the right-hand man of the leader. Well, that's actually in, you know, that's interesting because yeah. in, in actual fact, uh, I'm going to disagree with you in that this leads us into the Empire and to A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie to come out 
in uh, I think 1975. Darth Vader is. It was no 77 or 75. Oh, whatever. Um, Darth you, Vader you was. You want to disagree with me again? We know you always lose against. Uh, okay, I, 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 don't I, disagree. Just shut up. Can you shut up? Okay, okay. I don't need to be put on blast all the time. <laughs> um, but you're wrong. Okay, you're fucking wrong. Darth Vader is not the supreme commander of the Empire and the Empire's armed forces because we see in the first movie that he's taking orders from uh, the Admiral of the, of the fleet. Um, we see Darth Vader uh, strangling a dude with the Force when he gives the classic line, I find your lack of faith disturbing. And um, the Admiral says, Vader, release him. And uh, Vader has to obey his order. So actually, uh, just as a, as a side note, Vader's not the supreme leader. It's only when the Death Star gets blown up that Vader becomes the, uh, the supreme commander of the, of the armed forces. Yeah, because I suppose everyone is dead. But I don't think that, makes, that, that takes away from, from Vader being the supreme commander. He's named as the supreme commander, so don't challenge me on that. But I would <laughs> say that he, that, he's, that he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have a, you know, he's not in total control. I think this is George Lucas, particularly in episode four, not having a clear hierarchical military structure for mm. his galactic empire, mm. particularly when it came to running battleship and star destroyers. Mm. Um, I think when, when you know, Vader didn't have his own star destroyer at that stage, so when he was on board someone else's, he would have to effectively sort of be nice to the guy in charge, the admiral in charge uh, uh, there. That's once interesting. The, once the, you know, so once it's like his ship, you have to oh, listen to what he says. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that goes for any Navy. Mm, mm. That's that's a good point. You will have you you will have an, if an admiral gets on board, he will have to listen to the captain of the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so don't fucking challenge me again. Uh, okay. So let's let's cla- <laughs> let's quickly classify the empire, as I think is is probably the easiest one that that we can classify at this point. Um, the, what is the it empire? Is, uh, the, it is the perfect tyranny. The 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 yeah. It's it is. I agree with you. The the, the perfect I mean, tyranny. It, oh, that, oh, Although it sucks, with, like I was, you know, if, if, if you if you remove value judgment and you admit your secret bias towards the Galactic Empire because they have cool stormtroopers and Darth Vader and the efficiency with which they get shit done, besides letting that escape pod leave it, <laughs> um, they, they, they were, it was it was kind of a cool thing for this for their first Death Star to be blown up because it got rid of you know anybody who would uh, stick their nose up to Chancellor Pal- to Emperor Palpatine. It left just him and Darth Vader to rule the galaxy. Yeah. And when they tried to get Luke Skywalker on board, uh, you learn that um, t- you know, Emperor Palpatine had every intention of replacing Darth Vader with his son, yeah. Luke. Uh, because t- uh, Emperor Palpatine had no, had no intention of relinquishing power. He had Sith powers that would allow him to essentially live forever, that would either not let him die, he had an unnatural hold on the, on life force, on mm. the life force, or would allow him to sort of like reincarnate himself once he had perished, um, so that he would essentially be emperor forever. Yeah. And when you learn of that, you just think, my goodness, he is literally, he's the best tyrant I could ever imagine in yeah. any history, in any universe. Yeah, he's the, he's the absolute tyrant. And not only that, he has incredible, he's, a, he's an incredibly good politician, and he's an incredibly powerful force user as well. Um, you yeah, know, I mean, able to stand up toe to toe with Yoda makes him incredibly powerful. And he's got a really great credit loan at the bank for being able to replace a Death Star. <laughs> <with another one. laughs> 
Yeah, he does. I don't know how the, I like that. I actually I saw a uh, stats on how much it would cost us to build a Death Star, and it would cost more money and more resources than the planet Earth actually has. Like you would have to strip mine the the whole planet basically down to its core to build a Death Star, and even then you wouldn't have enough. So, <laughs> and and even then, he still has the testicles to go and blow up an entire planet Alderaan with the Death Star, which probably paid for that Death Star. Yeah, exactly. He's essentially saying like a massive up yours to the bank. There goes your insurance. <laughs> His economic <laughs> advisors are probably like, dude, there was so much platinum on that goddamn planet, and you just, oh my god, <laughs> you just cost us so much money. The bank would be like. But but you signed Alderaan as your surety holder, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he took out a policy on Alderaan just before he blew it up. <laughs> Pay up, bitches. <laughs> that's that that's badass for you. Um, so we could go on forever uh, classifying regimes, or at least we would like to. We invite any, you know anyone to please. Um, in fact, you know what? I have an idea, Peter. I was going to invite everyone to to give us a word on what they think about planets like Kashyyyk or on the forest moon of Endor with the Ewoks, um, or even Dantooine. Uh, flip, even classify Alderaan if you want to. But if I had to think, it would be much more fun rather than just writing to us. I was thinking with your spectrum and my topology, if we were to run an x-axis uh, and y-axis Cartesian plane, with the x-axis valuing the, 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 the light side versus the dark side, mm. Uh, and the extremes to which regimes run on that spectrum. And then on the y-axis running north-south with how many people rule, how many rulers are in charge, mm. then we could get, uh, we could probably ask some of our software tech buddies to write a little uh, app or program for us that we could upload to the website for our listeners to go to and rank the regimes as they want to yeah. do. What do you think about that? That's a great idea. I really like that. It would be really cool to make it like interactive um, so that you could move regimes across because uh, like especially if you did it as a function over time uh, you could actually plot the movement of uh, the the galactic senate to the galactic empire from the beginning of uh, the phantom menace all the way all, all the way to the end of return of the jedi and see how it moves across from the light side to the dark side from uh, aristocracy to a tyranny that would be, yeah, and, and then we also invite a lot of uh, competing debates. You know, when, when we say we think of the Galactic Republic as an ar ar um, aristocracy, uh, slightly centrist aristocracy leading you know, towards oligarchy, we, there might be many people out there who think it's more, demo it's more uh, centrist democratic. Mm. Um, and, and they would have this tool to, to do that if yeah, they wanted to, to plot what they thought. And not only that, I mean, you could place current political regimes on that on that um on that tool as well i mean place america england uh, south africa you could you could place anything there and, and determine what type of regime it is um probably write a paper on it but the first become the first a professor and the first um, eventually start my own <laughs> university um maybe one podcast uh, 200 years from now will be citing me as a 21st well, century well, philosopher <laughs> well, what do you call the university the university of Coruscant. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Uh, that is awesome. Uh, that would be cool. Uh, it'll okay, just be, it'll so just be the Sleeman Temple, I think. Oh, that is so 
Um, uh, I have one more question for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just remembered now that I haven't asked you to categorize the last remaining regime type uh, or, or regime. And I think it is a political regime because of the, the people who make it up, even though it's a small one, is the Rebel Alliance. Oh, interesting. So I have two things to say about the Rebel Alliance. Only two. Only two. But two involved things. The yeah, first thing smarter, I would say is perhaps you could classify it as a terrorist organization. And um, the reason I'm saying that is the definition, uh, the academic definition of a terrorist organization is a group of um, individuals, a group of people who are opposed to a political regime, um, who want political change, act in a political manner, and attack civilians in order to gain political change. Now, I know we haven't seen, we, ha we definitely haven't seen the Rebel Alliance conducting attacks on civilian populations, but um, given the information that we do have on them, I don't see how else they would be able to affect political change. I mean, they might be, they could, well, they could be bombing cities. If you, if you want to be really harsh, you could just say stormtroopers are people too. They're also civilians. Well, no, I mean, they're, they're part of the military. So, you know, if... Uh, no, I'm just saying, if you really want to be like, if you really want to go hard for the terrorist label, you could, you could you know, push it that. Well, there are probably civilians on the goddamn Death Star. I mean, you can't, you can't tell me that all those people were military. There were civilians on that ship. I mean, you, you, what about... You've yeah, got catering took, staff. You've got administration. They, you've got... HR, you've got plumbers. What you think a stormtrooper fixes the space toilet? I don't think so. Okay, you got people. You got people on board. Not to mention, not to mention the fact that when they blew up the second Death Star, it was under construction. You can't tell me that they brought in their own contractors. Those were subcontractors, dude. You can't build something that big without subcontractors. Okay, the plumber comes in on Tuesday Peter, to shut put up. the emperor. <laughs> shut up! Shut up! You know the only reason they blew up that second Death Star was because the Emperor was on it. They knew the Emperor was on the Death Star. That's why they blew it up. And I don't care what you say. That's reason enough. Those uh, people so nice justification Star, of terrorists. Were, nice if, justification if of were, terrorists. Shut up. <laughs> if, the, if those people, those subcontractors knew they were building a Death Star to blow up more Alderaan's <laughs> and they've... And so their death is not on my con is not on the conscience of the Rebel Alliance. They oh. are freedom fighters. They have the good of the galaxy in mind. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they're a very very light side aristocracy, maybe polity. Yeah. So I'm I'm taking it a little bit too far. I would actually go. I would actually say that they're not a terrorist organization. They are the legitimate Galactic Republic in exile. Um, oh, that, you just went from one extreme to the other. They I did. Are not the Galactic Republic yep. in exile. They are the they are the they are the legitimate government of the Galactic Republic. Okay, and they deserve to be you're heard. Said, you're saying. <laughs> You're saying the legitimate government are terrorists. Oh, well, Nelson oh, Mandela could have been classified as a terrorist. But was he the legitimate government at the time? Uh, well. No, no. <laughs> sure, the Rebel Alliance was made up of Republicans, but they were made up of many other people at the same time. They were not the entire Galactic Republican exile. You know, they had generals, they had military people. I mean, even Han Solo became a general. Yeah, yeah. He had nothing to do with the Galactic Republic. Mm, fair so enough. Sure, there might be there might be traces of Galactic Republic history there, but the Rebel Alliance as itself is is not a government in exile. Fair enough. 
Um, I, feel, I feel like I've come up on the wrong side of both these arguments. <laughs> and, but this should be a usual feeling. For you. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is if we look at how the hierarchical structures in the galactic, in, in the rebel alliance work, because mm. that will give us indication as to what extent they are. Uh, um, how do I, what's the edu- what's the noun of polite or what's the adjective polite political no. <laughs> uh, to, to what extent they're an aristocracy or a polite because if they're an aristocracy then we're admitting that there are there's a small centrist group of people who are key decision makers such as Mon Mothma such as uh, some of the admirals that are there uh, maybe even Wedge Antilles as the leader of the uh, the, um, the X-Wing fighters the X-Wing fighters um, so you see like a small group of individuals making decisions as like an aristocracy or that they just make decisions because that's their job and everybody else has equally important jobs, you know, like, uh, you know, flying X-wings or, you know, cleaning the toilets, then in which case there would be a polity and they have just as much role to, to, to play in, mm. in the rebel alliance. I'm not um, sure. I like, I, I, I find myself swaying to both sides almost. Um, you know, we see the, we see the uh, uh, the Mon Calamari um, involved in the final battle, um, and yeah. you know they're, they're definitely in some kind of they they run their own ships, they run their own organization, but they're definitely in some kind of confederation with the Rebel Alliance. I mean, they're part of the Rebel Alliance, yeah. but uh, yeah. from that context, yes, it, it might indeed be a polity. But you know, given that the polity is an ideal type. Um, yeah. Uh, I would say it's 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 more of a of a, of a very nice liberal democracy. Yeah, it is a nice one. It's still representative. I, I don't see enough evidence to convince me that it's a polite, no. even though I would like to believe it is. Mm. So, I mean, the image I have in my head is not the Mankalamari and the end of episode six, but actually that war room, uh, that strategic war room in uh, on Hoth, where Princess Leia is making decisions, and they you know they're effectively calling out the escape route and the escape attack. Uh, to get past the imperial blockade, mm. and it just seems like there 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 are certain individuals who are who are slightly more representative of of the whole body of the alliance, and they make decisions on behalf of others mm. a little more aristocratically. Yeah, uh, so I, you know the, the evidence leans towards that. I agree. So I I would I would place them on the uh, aristocracy typology, but very far off on the light side, light side of the uh, of the. Yeah. Um, Spectrum. Well, we have a question that I think would take us way beyond time. Uh, and I think it should actually be dealt with in its own episode because there's so much material to discuss. Is how, how would the Jedi Council act? Or how would we expect the Jedi Council to act? Mm. Um, both expect and predicted to act in our world, in yeah. our, in, on Earth. And that's, that's such if a fascinating was, question. Uh, it does need its own podcast. Because we, we, we haven't touched on the Jedi as such at this point. Um, I, I, I do think it needs its own podcast. I don't, you know, we, we don't think it's a political regime. Oh, I don't think it's a no. political regime. No, it's, it's not. not. So I, I'm happy to not talk about it today in this episode, but it's still such an important uh, part of the first three movies. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it does warrant... And it, it has us fantasizing about um, a group of uh, laser-wielding warriors to defend peace and justice on Earth. Yeah, I would like to see the relationship between a political entity like the UN and an autonomous uh, warrior society... That you know, admittedly has nice ideals, but still is an autonomous power that has the ability to choke you from far away, like you know, and shoot lightning out of their hands. That's 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 crazy talk, um, you know. 
So I, I, that's that's so. There's so much to discuss there. I'm getting excited about it just thinking about it. But um, I need no, to calm down. Imagine, imagine first of all, uh, setting that up as a as a as an episode. Is we'd have to say that the force exists, and that, you know people uh, discover how to imbue crystals with the force, and therefore create lightsabers. I mean, that's exciting enough. And then discussing the idea of to what extent pe- uh, people who become Jedi's then become power hungry, and we have we also have a, you know a landed population of Sith. Mm, that's interesting. Um, so, not, <laughs> so not only not only how would we expect the Jedi to behave as autonomous peacekeepers, but what happens to people who fall to the dark would, side? Well, how would they deal with the Sith? Because mm, mm. right off the bat, I would expect the Jedi Council to be uh, really independent, and they would defend peace at all costs, and they would not get involved um, in conflicts other than trying to mediate or negotiate. I see. Uh, at this point, I immediately disagree with that. Speech. Because I don't think that the Jedi Council would be independent, and I don't think that they would be unintrusive. So okay, let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to carry on. So uh, I think that this is a good point to end off this podcast. Uh, for a f- an episode in the future, we are going to be discussing what would happen to the real world, the one we exist in at the moment, if suddenly the Force was a real thing that people could use and lightsabers could be built and used with force crystals. And we're going to be examining all of that. And I think that the political theories we're going to be using is a lot of international relations, probably a lot of social contract theory, um, maybe balance of power analysis. Um, oh, so much. We, we'll, we'll have to write it all down. But um, that's exciting. I, I can't wait for that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to discuss there. Excellent. Well, I'm excited. Yeah, me Great. too. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I had good fun. Uh, please, we welcome all your criticisms. If you'd like to add any knowledge or change anything that we said where you want to argue with us we welcome it you know our email address please find us on facebook and subscribe to the podcast on soundcloud as well as the website check out the website absolutely we're always happy to hear from you and that email address again is the lands of leviathan at gmail.com that's l-a-n-d-s-o-f-l-e-v-i-a-t-h-a-n at gmail.com same name on twitter this and the same name on facebook And as Brock said, subscribe to our RSS feed. And please remember to like and subscribe us on SoundCloud. And we're on iTunes as well. And YouTube. Do all of them. Um, We'd love to hear from you guys. And um, yeah, I suppose we'll... uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This has been great. We'll... we'll, uh, This is is Red Leader signing off.